Life is a series of moments, a constant ebbing and flow of contrasting seasons. At Iconic Farms, we understand that the seasons come with highs and lows. Although the lows serve their purpose as a time to plant seeds of new growth, we thrive for the moments of harvest. The moments where ordinary places, ideas, and people become extraordinary. Our hope is that the seeds we plant inspire you to envision and find your higher state of being. Whether it be in the mountains, the ocean, or under a vast array of stars, when it comes to you, you'll know. Enjoy the high. Happy Aloha Friday, guys. Welcome back to another epic episode of Disposable Heroes. This week, we have Gil Sharon on the show. He's done it all, but it's the reggae that binds us. So enjoy the first part of this two-part episode with Brother Gil. Hoorah! Brother Gil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the time, my man. Good to be here, man. Good to see you. Absolutely. It's good to be seen. It's uh, been a crazy year and uh, <laughs> crazy times we live in, but it's a beautiful time to be alive as well. Yep. Um, I just wanted to jump right into it and uh, uh, go from my perspective. And I moved from uh, Kona, a small town on the west side of the Big Island in 1999 to San Diego and that was when we were first starting to kind of uh, whatever follow our dream or whatever of, uh, that we had of Pepper. And I moved over here and just being kind of in that, uh, I don't know, I guess it was kind of a barren realm back then of these essentially uh, uh, American kids playing this music that was originated in Jamaica so many years ago. And then I heard about this uh, Wicked Beats DVD and uh, uh, it was honestly, it was so amazing because it was like this diamond that was in this desert that not a ton existed in at that time. Um, and then flash forward further that, you know, we got involved with the warp tour and we did a bunch of warp tours and then Dillinger escape plan. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, being able like the juxtaposition that is you is just so amazing. And, and, and I don't, I just want to talk all about that. And yeah, and the love for reggae though, is I almost think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just as a fan of yours, this is just what I take. It seems like your heart beats reggae. It's definitely like, that's, that's true. And thank you for like those kind words and, and noticing that too. Like um, I can reply to all that if you're ready for me to <laughs> let's go I, can, um, I i can't wait cool so yeah like reggae and not just reggae but ska and rocksteady right i use and, that as a very and, general yeah, term absolutely exactly but just for people like listeners because i know you know um yeah absolutely. but I'm, I'm i'm constantly telling people especially why i made wicked beats why i created wicked beats which we'll get into this is going to be yeah. fun Yes. Um, but yeah, in, in short, my heart. Yeah. It's, it's so dear to me, but so is jazz, you know, so is mm -hmm. bebop. So is, so is hip hop. So is funk. It's like, so is fusion. It's like, and then, you know, there's heavier styles of music, but it's so funny because when I joined this band that you were mentioning Dillinger escape plan that you saw warped, like, 
for for people that are just finding out about me or not really knowing um, anything about Dillinger, that band is like people coined the term like math metal. Mm. And, you know, so when I joined Dillinger, it was a big deal because their original drummer, Chris Penny, is a monster, brilliant player. Like, I was a fan. Like, I first time I heard Dillinger, I was like, holy shit, these guys are insane. The musicianship is crazy. Who's this drummer? And um, I, I became friends with Chris. You know, I had no idea, like, years later, I was going to be the drummer of Dillinger. But, um, yeah, that music they were like on my radar for sure as just one of like, just, it was genius shit to me because the way I heard Dillinger wasn't like metal to me. It was, it was jazz. Yeah. It was like, like wow. I, it, it was jazz being presented in a heavy format. Yes. You know, and which is another funny thing where, you know, fast forward years later, I'm hanging out with one of my biggest jazz influences, Jeff Tane Watts, okay. who is, legend Branford Marsalis' drummer Winton Marsalis' drummer Kenny Garrett just you name it Tang played with everybody he's like a modern day mixture of Tony Williams and Elvin like smashed together and everybody else but Tane is like the shit and I remember we were we were just talking after I saw him play uh him and Bran Branford's uh, group played some Branford tunes at the Roxy and then they went into a Love Supreme, John Coltrane's Love Supreme record, and they played it front to back, their version of it. It was amazing. So then, you know, me and Tanner just talking, and I asked him if he heard of this band, Meshuggah. I told him, oh, I'm listening to this band, Meshuggah, too. And he, he's all, oh, I know them. I know them. I said, you heard of Meshuggah? <laughs> and he's all, he's all, yeah, that shit's a science. And it was funny because you, people just assume automatically if you're a jazz cat or you're a reggae dude or you're a metal dude they automatically want to put you in a box. Like that's all, you know, Yeah. like you're, you're like this sheltered player that you've only heard of stuff that, you know, like that, or that you're the band you're famous for plays that that's the only style of music, you know? So it wasn't surprising for me to hear that Tane was a fan of Meshuga or heard of what I did in Dillinger because even though it's really heavy and aggressive music and there's not any not much singing especially in sugar it's just yelling but the rhythmic phrases and what's happening underneath and those polyrhythmic phrases that shit's stravinsky you know what i mean yeah. like you hear you hear classical music with those elements of the so back to like dillinger stuff so i i just didn't listen to a lot of that heavy music technically like even though i was playing it while i was in dillinger i'd go back on a tour bus and i'm teaching the dudes about reggae and yeah. uh, <laughs> and you know greg their singer who you know i'm still close with those dudes but especially greg i'm in touch with greg all the time and, and we've worked together since their singer but like greg grew up in like baltimore and when we, when I joined the band, like the first time I even met those dudes in person after like a lot of aim messaging on instant messenger back in the day, the first time I even met those dudes was just when we were re going to rehearse for the record uh -huh. for the session. So I, it's not like I even knew those guys like personally, I, I met them all through online and everything, but we vibed hard because yeah when I found Greg, when I found out Greg sings R and B, like, again, a lot of people hear Dillinger, they hear him screaming and he sings a lot too, but it's mainly aggressive. 
Mm-hmm. So they automatically assume all this dude must listen to is heavy music. But then Craig can sing his ass off. I remember we went to a karaoke bar on tour one night and he sang like a Jodeci tune or something. No and just way. like and just like killed everybody, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I knew I'm all that's my boy. He's he can sing, he's got soul, he's versatile. So yeah. as a player, yeah, like back to the beginning, I've always loved all different styles of music. Even before I started drumming, music was in me. I would like in my junior high, like dances, I'd like totally dance and kill shit. And I was listening to hip hop and R&B. I love soul. I love, you know, funk. And it wasn't until like I consciously discovered reggae where like something just like struck a chord in me. And this was all before I started drumming. So I tell people like when, when I started drumming, it was an easy transition. People would ask me all the time, how do you switch gears? How do you switch gears from like a really authentic reggae setting or like a 60s ska setting? And then like jump to this like really heavy music with like Uh fast double bass and intricate time changes and stuff that has nothing to do with these other styles. Uh And it's because it's a feeling it's, it's internal. I don't have to like, I don't have to, go out of my way to like prepare for something like that it's already in me yeah you're fully tuned in so when the music's in you that's something too you can't fake like you you can watch a player play and you can just see you just have it you the dude's got it the dude gets it he he's been exposed to it Mm. um growing up i'm born and raised in la so i had everything and anyone like at my disposal, mm-hmm. even my parents before I could drive would drive me to jazz clubs. They'd yeah. let me, they would be so supportive of me. My twin brother, he came up on bass and guitar at the same time. We were shredding anything and everything we heard. We were just sponges absorbing everything. Um, but yeah, like even then I remember, I just see like, oh, Vinny Caliuta's in town. Elvin Jones is in town. Dave Weckl's in town. Uh, anybody like Tane is in town. Just and my parents would take me to see these, like my first, the first drum clinic my dad ever drove me to was a Dave Weckl clinic. He yes. knew he was like my idol. I was like 15 and it was like Cal State Northridge Auditorium or something. And, and I was just starstruck when I got to meet Dave for the first time. And so, so yeah, so there's so much to talk about and, and I can bounce around, but yeah, like the Jamaican music and that pulse and that feel that's home base you know it's like yeah it's it it's just in me and and i my love for it is insane and why i made wicked beats is because i i knew at the time it i was getting into like drum clinics and and starting to get known as like in the drum industry and asked to get invited to these like you know the basics and you know, modern drummer events and just really cool things. But I knew what, what set me apart even then was this really strong, like Jamaican influence I have Mm. that I feel, I feel I, I am an authority on it that I can share it and not about me, but I can share it to represent everybody that came and all the legends that created the styles and also chronologically like 
I could I could do a same like Wicked Beats type video on jazz because yeah. I'm educated in it. I play it. I've lived it since I was 13 years old. I was playing. I'm a bebop drummer. I I know how to swing hard. Yeah, and that's so important. A lot of drummers that are are really good and and technically proficient. I've seen a lot of players at that level, but they can't swing. Right. So um, jazz to me has always been like another engine, an, an internal engine spinning. But I was like, the market's flooded. The drum market is flooded with, by, you know, rightfully so, by amazing educators that know those styles, okay? So I remember, I was like, what can I do? I, I know I want to do something to at least introduce me to the drum world that hasn't been done before. And one night, Adrian Young from No Doubt, mm -hmm. you know, super massively successful band, especially around this time, um, Adrian invited me to his house to just do a drum hang. So I, I went over to Long Beach. Uh, we kicked it. We had a, a lot of fun. I showed him a lot of cool beats. I remember, and he's like, man, those... I didn't know he played it that way. I thought he did it this way or that, whatever. Nice. And and I just showed him a little more like just the traditional way of doing something. Uh -huh. And as I'm driving back home, this light bulb went off. And I was just like, I have to do a DVD. Like what I just did with Adrian, Yeah. I need to turn that into a DVD. Yeah. And I remember I called him like as I was driving, I said, yo, dude. I just thought of this idea. I'd, I'd love for you to be a part of it because, you know, you kind of helped like springboard the idea for me. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's a cool interview section and there's footage of Adrian in the DVD of Wicked Beats, which he was really gracious. And the whole band of No Doubt and their management, they totally signed off on it. They gave like exclusive drum cam video of him so playing. Rad. And even though people might say, well, Adrian's not Jamaican and he's not that, but you know what? He's in one of the biggest bands of all time yeah. to take the Jamaican influence and turn it into whether it's their fuse of rock, of punk, of, you know, third wave ska, whatever. So that worked out great. But then, of course, I knew moving forward, I said, I have to get Lloyd Nibb. Now, for the people that don't know who Lloyd Nibb is, he is the creator. He is the godfather of what turned into reggae. But before that, it was ska. And that happened in the 60s in Jamaica. And that was the first style of music that Jamaica could say is ours. We're not copying like American doo-wop. We're not playing like the boogie-woogie stuff. We're not playing, of course, jazz and Latin and all these different influences were coming in. And they were, but it still wasn't like Jamaica's music until mm -hmm. ska came. And the ska beat is what just like I fell in love with the first time I heard that kind of drumming and it was Lloyd. So I said, I got to go to the source. I, I have to contact Scottalites and see how I could meet Lloyd Nib and ask him if I can at least interview him just so. I can spread the word of who he was. Mm -hmm. um, it was amazing timing. I, I got to meet Lloyd and spend days with him. He just happened to be in LA with the Scottalites and they were playing shows. And at first he, he totally like signed off on the interview. But when the, I was about to meet him, I had my buddy with like a nice camera ready to go. And his, his like, 
manager at the time or like assistant manager, she called me and said, Oh, Lloyd doesn't really want to come by. Like he's kind of has second thoughts. Oh. And, and I was like, Oh damn, I had all this planned, but you know what? I didn't want to pressure him. So I just said, we won't roll anything, but since you're already like on your way, just can you bring him? Can you just bring him by my studio? Mm. If he doesn't want to record after he meets me, I won't shoot anything. And I swear this Lloyd pulls up and he looked awesome. He was wearing all these gold rings and necklaces yeah. and he was just, just Jamaican royalty, you know, reggae royalty. Yeah. And I don't know, as soon as he just felt my vibe, he just started talking in 1950 this in 1950 that in 1960 this i was at prince buster i was with duke reed i was with this oh. and i'm like wait 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 wait. let me roll this let me roll this and you know i got like two hours of footage with lloyd and wicked beats uh -huh. i think i think we cut it down to like a 13 minute clip but uh -huh. i have footage of lloyd's like life story it's amazing and one day wow. i can hopefully do something with that footage to honor him yeah, it's, it's it's not to exploit him. It's to honor him. And yes. so, again, that's when I knew Wicked Beats was going to come together. Once I had the man that invented the ska beat that turned into everything else after that, I knew that like I was on my way. Right. And, and I, I was literally I was literally in the back lounge of the bus with Dillinger writing out my outline. Amazing. Like we just played a hardcore festival, you know, yeah. and then and I'm in the back of the bus uh, writing out the different like chapters I want to put in this book or and then Ben would come back, Ben Weinman from Dillinger, and he'd jump in the back. What are you doing? What's up? I'm like, dude, I had this idea for this DVD. I'm going to do it. I'm totally going to do it. And they were so supportive. They're like, dude, you totally should. And so that's how that all came to be. Amazing. No, that is so amazing. And I, I appreciate all of that. That is so rad. I have a question. Um, uh, you're, you're talking about uh, basically all the history, all uh, basically paying homage to, to, like you said, you went right back yeah. to the beginning when you had the idea. And nowadays I see, it seems like there's like the, the uh, reggae rock thing, whatever you want to call it. And this, mm -hmm. uh, this uh, mainland reggae, uh, I don't know. We, we, uh, I think that's that's the most proper term. Us being from Hawaii, it's just kind of like mainland reggae. You know, it's a different, it's a different form. It obviously sounds different. Um, yeah. However, you want to classify it, but it also seems like there's a disconnect where a, a ton of people that are listening to it don't know where it came from, and there's a huge and like me being a very uh, diehard fan of reggae, it, it bums me out. So just how important, in your opinion, is because some people don't really care about the history of things as much mm -hmm. as I think they should. How important, like, it seems like there's a huge hole being placed and a huge loss of something when everything isn't connected. Definitely. I, I really agree with that. And again, it's like before I even preached to like as an educator, I, I would just, as, as an artist, as just like a musician, I would always want to know where things came from. And that's why I dug so deep with jazz. That's why I dug deep with Jamaican music. That's why I dug deep with funk, with hip hop. Like it's, I was never the kind of person that would just take something at face value and leave it at that. I, I always wanted to explore, especially if it was something I was passionate about. So yeah, it's like, 
you know, you can't force people to all, to want to have that same passion. And I've accepted that over the years. I've seen enough students. I've seen enough, you know, people that I tried to guide and, and I was successful with a lot, but then you just see people that are just set on their ways and they just don't really care at the end of the day. Like, like with anything, there can be people that respect history and where things come from. And mm. then there's people that are just like, Oh, whatever. Well, this is happening now. And this is all I care about. Yeah. But, but to me, to be the best you can be as, and, and to be an authentic player, mm. if you're trying to claim I'm not an authentic player. I'll just play whatever I feel. I don't really care where it comes from. I don't care if this feels the right way that it did in 19, you know, 51, whatever, 1972, 1964. Like if you don't care, then fine. But for the people that do care, that's who I want to help. Gotcha. That's who I, those are the people that I talk to. Like, look, if you want to be authentic, if you want to become one day, a session player, or if you want to be in a band that specializes in certain things, then yeah, go to the source and really connect the dots. It's funny that you guys would refer to it as like mainland reggae, like the way we call it out here to me that I'm sure you're aware of is like Cali roots, you know? Yeah. Or the, yeah. the, the Cali reggae sound, mm -hmm. which is kind of like rock reggae, but the other thing about that is, well, where did that come from? You know, you have bands like, of course, Bad Brains, yep. who really Fishbone, like bands that fused. And again, like Fishbone, they were my idols. Like when I was 13, just 12, 13, 14, they still are one of my all-time favorite bands. They're friends of mine. I played with them. Fish is a dear homie. He's a big bro. I've subbed for him on gigs. Mm -hmm. Um but to understand even their music, to take an album like Truth and Soul, In Your Face, you know, Give a Monkey a Brain, and one track is this crazy authentic ska, and then this next track is super authentic roots reggae, mm. then the next track is the funkiest shit you ever heard, and it sounds like funkadelic. So they were my teachers in a sense, like... I learned because of them. I said, well, wait a minute. How are these guys getting away with playing all these different styles of music and owning it? Like, not just like faking it, but owning it. Yeah. So that was school for me. And that was how I, me personally, that's how I always wanted to be as a player, an educated player, mm. somebody that, somebody that, absorbed that from the source being in LA was just so amazing that I got to like, okay, meet these legends and then play with them and become friends with them. Yeah. And now, now they're they're I'm appear to them. They're not like, Oh, you're that young one. They're like, you know, you're a fucking seasoned veteran. And like, that's, that's always been a dream of mine just to even be accepted right in, in different worlds. So even with like the reggae mentors I've had and, and certain Rasta um, Rastas that I, it, they, I'd get resistance at first. Like it wasn't easy, even hanging out with scientists who's the, a dub legend, which I'll get to, but I met Hopeton, which is his name. I met scientists for the first time, like several months back. Um, and he knew I started just talking about, 
players that I played with over the years. And he just knew, he just looked at me and was like, that's, that's not an easy like circle to break into. Mm. So he knew right away, like you, obviously you have something it's sincere and people see that and they feel it when I play. Yeah. So that was always the goal. Just let your, let your playing do do the talking, let my playing do the talking when I'm in these situations. Right. Be yourself. Yeah. And if it's authentic, it'll, it'll show. And and it is don't, don't force it. Right. Right. Earlier you said about, um, about some people just have it or they don't that like, like they've been, they've, they've visited the magic that is music. Yeah. Um, Do you think, and I I actually believe that all those original reggae legends, like your Santa Davises and everything, they, they were born with it. And, yeah. and they don't like technicalities are almost like an afterthought because they're just mm-hmm. playing from their heart and, and they were definitely born with it. Do you think that kind of thing can be uh, developed in someone that wasn't maybe born with it? Yeah, I, I've seen it. I, I've definitely seen it. And I don't want to discourage people to say like, no, if you don't have it, you just don't have it. But the way to develop it is to immerse yourself in it, not only is to naturally love it. Like I play so many different styles of music because I love all those styles of music. It's not because I want to keep working or I can make a lot more money as a session drummer if I play all these different styles. That never drove me. Yeah. But I, I've started with students over the years I, I've I, that I'd give lessons to that I'd be like, damn, your feels rough. Like, yeah. You sure you don't want to like play tennis or something? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but but I'd I'd get them to a point to like see see the light, you know, like let mm-hmm. go of anything technical right now. Just try to feel what's happening, whether it's a jazz feel that's swung, a reggae feel that's swung, a ska feel that's kind of in between, or a super straight feel that's deliberately straight, like. And then immerse yourself in the in the culture as much as you can. Go to shows mm. like you've played how, how many thousands of shows where it's infectious when when you're standing in the on stage or in the crowd of a proper reggae band, you feel that shit. You can't not like acknowledge what you're feeling. And then if you don't, you don't. Some people, like I said, just don't. They it doesn't touch them. Yeah, yeah. Or or they just get it on a very superficial level. Surface to level. Me, exactly. To me, it was the opposite. It was deep. It hit me deep. Mm, um, even Nyabingi drumming, which are the roots of reggae, like just hitting this drum right here. Look, I just I happen to have a bingy because I was doing my homie Ika Micah made this for me. Nice. But just hitting the heartbeat pulse, I I can't get bored of that. I can't get tired of just go 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 back at boom go. That as soon as that pulse is established, I'm in. I'm engaged. Uh, yeah. And that has always been that for me. So mm-hmm. there's people that I've seen that are, oh I'm bored. Can't we do like? Can't we play seven over that? Can't we play five over that? Can't we like vary that? And it's like. <laughs> that's not what it's about it's you know so (laughs) yeah and the other thing too is like the kind of player that i always 
wanted to develop myself into was somebody that was very technically sound. So I never wanted to sacrifice any kind of technique. I obviously, you know, played in a band like Dillinger where the music was ridiculously technical um, mentally and physically. Yeah. Like it, those were two battles too back with that band. Like if, if people are curious and haven't heard that, listen to um, Dillinger Skate Plan, an album called Ironworks. That's the one I played on. But any of their music is ridiculous. Um, and Chris is amazing. I played on Ironworks. And then after me, Billy Reimer came in and Billy's another killer player. Um, so any of that is like cool to check out and, and kind of expand your, your musical box. But um, the the way that I would approach that is mentally, I understand the music, but physically this is really hard. Like yeah, my double bass is like, my legs are tired. My hands are tired, like all this. So now you have to build this endurance. So it's one thing to even understand that type of difficult music mentally to just know what's going on. But then it's like, can you physically execute it? So you need a good technical foundation and and you need those tools to be able to pull that off with music like reggae like i've seen some master reggae players from jamaica that any any drummer would like try to criticize oh his grip isn't right his this isn't right he's not moving they don't care about that yeah i don't care about that it's not what it's about like you said earlier <laughs> how does the music make you feel how does the music feel yeah you know and same thing with anything that's that's got deep roots like i've seen blues drummers on tour in like memphis or something where you might look at the drummer and his technique is just like and it's atrocious you know mm. but then you hear that shuffle and you're just like that shit's moving mountains yeah so that's why be aware i always tell people be aware there's certain times where technique is very, very important. But depending on those other times, it's about the feel. It's about what are you doing that's making the members of the band get deeper in it or yeah. the audience. One thing, one gig I did for almost like three years, actually Fish from Fishbone called me to sub for him was to play with Dave Wakeling from the English Beat and okay. General Public. Legendary. Now, d exactly. Like, it was like a hit factory. Every song in the set was just hit yeah. after hit after hit. And it was either like British 80s pop uh -huh. or straight up two-tone ska yeah. or really like heavy roots reggae. Mm -hmm. And with Dave he would he's all a field guy dave would always say i'm like 19 at the time he'd always say like make it sexy make the crowd i want to see the women dancing that's what i care about you know and it got to the point where i would just watch dave he'd be facing the audience but i'd watch his foot because if he wanted to make the tempo either faster or slower he would always determine it by the crowd he would mm. let the crowd determine so we could play like mirror in the bathroom one night and it would be kind of the normal recorded tempo but if he saw that the crowd was just wild that night he'd like i just watch his foot which would mean okay step it up step it up we're gonna we're gonna rock this a little faster or he'd be like this crowd they want it heavier slower so and that went for every song in the set that was a huge 
learning experience for me. And it was amazing because yeah. it wasn't about me just being locked, setting it. It was paying attention to the artist that I'm backing up, making the band feel good, making the crowd move. And the more the crowd moved, the happier Dave was. So it, it just all helped. Everything was like fueling each other. Right. And so that was, that was a really cool gig for me. Um, and you know, those were young years for me, 19, 20, 21. I was doing a lot of sessions. I was still kind of, you know, had my own bands, but that's when I knew like I was going to be a dude people could call, whether yeah. it was like somebody like fish who was an idol of mine to have me fill in for him. I remember his words too. He called me, he said, I need a strong drummer. I need to know if you want to do this, I got to get a real good drummer for this. And I said, fuck yeah. And I was, I was honored, you know, that yeah, he called me. Amazing. We've been homies just ever since. And yeah. um, that, that, that was just like crucial for me. I didn't go to like a university, you know, I didn't go to, those are my college years. I didn't go to college, but what's funny is during that time, like just before that time, when I was in, still in high school, I thought I was going to move to New York and just pursue jazz. Mm. So that was in my head. Like, should I go to the new school? Should I go to Manhattan school of music? Should I just not go to school at all? Just go to New York because I was that serious about jazz. But then I just started getting all these like cool gigs, sessions, um, heavier styles you know and and then that's when my credit started beefing up with like bigger rock acts right when did you start playing drums uh when i was like just turned 13 so like okay. eighth grade okay yeah that is a sick ramp up there yeah yeah <laughs> it was fast it it happened fast it was you know it was definitely natural like me and my brother we had each other like identical twins you know totally. and he's He's just like a total virtuoso. Like I, I always make jokes that like I'm just the drummer and he's the musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because <laughs> he composes. He's like into orchestral music. He'll score right. for he'll score films and like, um, and he's got like perfect pitch pretty much. So he can learn anything by ear. And while while we were coming up, like we'd find rhythm section bands that we loved, like. Chili Peppers, you know, mm. Flea for him, Norwood on bass from Fishbone, and it and Primus. Those yes. were the three for us. Like <laughs> you, as far you as sucked that out of my head. I was yeah. like, <laughs> like so for 12, 13 year old kids that are just discovering these bands before they were like mega, like Chili Peppers, they were always pretty big. And uh -huh. this is just around the time when Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic came out, and that album like blew them up. But yeah we we knew like the underground shit we had cool like older friends that would hip us to this stuff yeah and you know once we saw i remember one night we were up super late and we were watching like 120 minutes or, yeah. or headbangers ball or something that was mtv by the way for anyone exactly. that doesn't know out there <laughs> when they actually played music videos yeah. but that we'd see the video for like jerry was a race car driver yeah. and it blew us away i saw tim's drum set oh. we saw Les's haircut and his bass and yes. you know, my brother my brother got a carl thompson bass because of that and just but he was figuring that shit out by ear like note for note yeah and and then i'd play those beats and then you know anything we'd discover together the funk the jazz just everything and then back to even like the jamaican influence 
I think it was kind of backwards the way I, um, the way I, I discovered the styles. We were really into like third wave ska, like bands like No Doubt before they right. became really big or Goldfinger. The, the, yeah, it, I never actually even heard of them until mm. they had that big like bedroom song here in your bedroom yeah. or something. Right, right, right. But I was playing in a band uh, in, in the long, in the OC ska scene a band based in Long Beach called Pocket Lent, which uh, is important to talk about because two of the yeah. members of Pocket Lent were the Owens brothers, Ike Owens and Aaron Owens. Nice. And we lost them both. Ike passed away while he was on tour with Jack White. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know Ike from the Mars Volta. He was the organ player in Mars Volta and with Jack White. Those were two really big gigs for him. He also produced a bunch of bands and played with a bunch of bands. But we, we were all coming up like Ike and I would talk about, you know, the future when we yeah. were just like driving the local OC ska shows. Yeah. And we had a very similar mindset. And then Aaron, Aaron was like one of my musical soulmates, um, gifted, gifted player. And we lost him like within the year, the same year we lost Ike. God. And that devastated me. That really, that news, but Aaron was was a major not only was he a major part in in, in introducing me to Miguel who I'll get to from Sublime and Dumb right. All Stars and I have our group Gil Miggs and Raj but well there's the Owens Brothers song that the Long Beach Dub All Stars have yeah. on their last record right that they yeah, put out last that's year that's totally dedicated to them yeah, yeah so out of the three brothers there's one Owens brother that we still work with closely brandon owens who's the youngest and brandon you know he used to just stand in the room watching us play at my parents house and when he was shy like he wouldn't even pick up the bass he was just kind of watching and now you know years later brandon has blossomed into an extremely gifted musician working his ass off he went to new york played with big big jazz at terrence blanchard eric reed benny green monty alexander like so brandon he he made it yeah. And he actually did a session with us where we did a, a session with the slightly stupid dudes and Brandon was on bass. Well, those songs will come out hopefully sometime soon. But anyway, playing with those guys in pocket lint, um, it was that like OC ska scene at the time that was just like killing in the late nineties and bands like real big fish yeah. were just blowing up on K rock, which was the local big station. Common sense. They're around back then too, right? That yeah, South we, Orange County band. Yeah, and we never really played with Compton. It was mainly like the scene was like real big fish. Sublime was out of it because they were already starting to break. No doubt okay. already broke. Mm. Um, Aquabats, the Aquabats. Yeah. And that's when Travis Barker. So Travis was playing in the Aquabats when I was playing in Pocket Lent. And we right. would be playing shows together like every weekend. It was just the scene. And it was a lot of fun. And then it was it was cool to see his career take off after he joined blink but um yeah that scene was a lot of fun but i was one of those dudes that was always preaching like this is cool but it's not real ska this is like yeah. <laughs> third generation i i want to play like the jamaican stuff the 60s the traditional ska so that's why when people ask there's like the categories there's traditional jamaican ska then there's the two-tone movement which dave wakeling was right there influencing and creating and then, they, then there was the third wave influence, which was more 
like late 80s, 90s, where bands were really exactly bands like Operation Ivy were a huge like influence on fusing punk, like taking two tone ska, which was already a few a fusion of punk and ska. Yeah. And just making it way more like rock and punk and aggressive. Uh, But the upbeat pulse is very common. And that's what gave it its signature, the skanks that people refer to as those, that sound on the guitar, it's called a skank or an upbeat. Um, But yeah, the way I discovered the, the Scottalites, the traditional stuff is I was already hip to third wave Scott and like the two tone stuff. And then one day, like I was cruising to one of my high school carpools, this rude girl, this like skinhead girl, Maxie. Yeah. And she had a Scottalites cassette. And that was it. I was just like, what is this? Who is this? First time I heard drumming like Lloyd, where to me it was like, again, like the first time I heard Elvin Jones or Tony Williams, I was hit that hard by Lloyd's drumming uh-huh. and how slick it was. And that's when it made me be like, I got to know all about this. Right. So that's I, I actually found out about the traditional stuff after the later stuff, you know. Absolutely. And the Scottalites, they came from the music school together in, in Jamaica. Alpha right? Boys. Is, yeah, the Alpha he, Boys school. Yeah. And is that, I mean, that's basically, and the Alpha Boys school, is there something similar that's still around uh, in Jamaica? They're still around. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is all coming back they to are. me. We just did a donation, that's why, to the Alpha Boys School, I think like a year ago or something. People caring about the roots. It's like you can hear bands like The Police or The Clash, Mm -hmm. um, Culture Club, UB40, bands that might have like big hits on mainstream radio. And some people might leave it at that or they might say, whoa, I hear like this reggae influence in this band. I wonder if they were into it. Right. And, And then that makes you want to dig deep. Absolutely. Deeper. Well, well, because some people, like you said, will listen to The Clash and they're like, should I stay or should I go? Right on. That's a great yeah. song. And then they move right. on. But it, it all goes down to um, some people just want to know the time and some people want to know how the watch works. You know what I mean? Where, where yeah. you're, you're obviously one of the like you're I see you as beyond a student of music. You're a child of music where, you, you know what I mean? You're you're yeah, yeah. you're conceived from music. And oh, thanks, man. It's the, I mean, it's and it's the best place to be it's because it's it's a place where you feel it. But um, through all your journeys of, uh, you know, playing any of these dream gigs, like playing next to Santa or, or um, any of those, were you always able to uh, kind of not be overwhelmed and remain in the moment and fully enjoy those? Yeah. those those instances. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like that mental part of it is super important and i've always been very focused like martial arts has been a huge part of my life almost as long Mm. as drumming has but that kind of focus of just not letting outside factors affect anything to me when i'm about to perform it's game time it's go time i'm not worried about how many likes is this post going to get oh i gotta check my phone i gotta do this blah blah yeah it's all about I'm, i'm it's like it's go time yeah. So even back then, like the experience I got to have as like a teenager into my young 20s, early 20s and getting like high profile big gigs or a big that might a gig that might not necessarily be super high profile in someone's eyes. But to me, it was a big deal because of yeah. who it was with. Of course. 
you know? So, so yeah, that the mental part of it is huge for drummers. We, if, if you're insecure or if you hesitate, Mm -hmm. it's like everyone else is going to feel that from you. Yep. So that (laughs) confidence is so important. Everybody in the band, you ask any musician, you know, would you rather play with a confident drummer that's, or, or somebody that's just arrogant and all over the place and blah, blah, blah. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Yes. And so being able to just have the confidence and then experience by doing it, you gain more confidence by doing it because mm-hmm. of that experience. And, you know, whether I'm playing for 20 people or 80,000 people, I, I approach it the same, the same mental state. I approach it the same. It's so funny you said that about uh, the arrogance thing, because it's funny, right? When I think of arrogance, right underneath that lies insecurity. So, so there, so there, like you said, it's going to be just questioning, not, not, not leading with, uh, uh, with a charge. You know what I mean? Like you said, yeah. game time, game time, it's ready to go. Let's go. So yeah, yeah it's a great, great way to put it. Um, because so- it's easy to get psyched out, especially yeah. you go out there and you're playing some of these massive festivals and there's, like 50 to a hundred thousand people out there. Of course, that energy is going to feel a little different than playing a coffee shop gig, but you got to know how to harness that, that adrenaline can take over Mm -hmm. and it could, it could like be your friend or it could be your enemy. Yeah. So it's important to be able to, to harness that and be aware of that. Well, absolutely. Cause there's also what I've uh, found before is drummers can experience a bit of the yips where a certain part of a song that maybe you've fucked up a few times in a row, you'll, it'll stick in your head. And all of a sudden you're like, I, I can't, I, I can't get past this part. Yes. I can't. It's yes. like a, it's like a, a, a national lampoons vacation when he's stuck in big band of parliament. I can't go left. I can't go left. I can't go left. Man, what a blast that was talking to brother Gil. But let's remember that is only the first part of this two-part episode. So don't forget to tune in in a couple weeks for the last and final part of this epic conversation. Thanks again to Brother Gil for all the time, and thank all of you for listening. Remember, life is beautiful, and so are you. Aloha. All right.